Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the answer. And you in us brings light to dark places. Let your light shine in us even more. And God, help me with this message this morning. I pray that these words will not be my words, they'll actually be your words. Because your word doesn't come back empty. It will accomplish what you set forth for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to share a story with you here, and it's actually from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And it's a little bit of the history of Israel and their captivity. So I'm going to read some things, and I'm going to give you some synopsis. What's the plural of synopsis? Synopses? Synopsi? Synopsis is, 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 is. But the story is based in 2 Chronicle chapter 34. And it starts with a king by the name of Josiah. In 34 verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Imagine becoming king at eight years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right, or to the left. Huh. Not turning aside to the right or to the left. But followed the ways of his father David. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. You got to understand. There was no one pointing him towards the God of his father, David. But something in him, in the eighth year of his reign, caused him to seek the God of his father, David. And in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under, under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who would sacrifice to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem, and the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them. He tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. You skip ahead to verse 14. It says, While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. You ever have a moment when you 
Someone's like, turn to your Bible, and you're like, yeah, hang on a second. <sighs> you know? Sometimes I think there'd be a revival in my house if I just knew where my Bible was at all times. They lost the Bible. They didn't lose, like, their own personal copy of the Bible. They lost the Bible. So the actual law of Moses that Moses had, that's what they lost. It's a pretty important thing in a day where there's no printing press yet to keep track of where the Bible is. And they lost it. And they're like, oh, look what I found. I found the Bible. Man, how bad does life have to get when you lose the Bible? It's like Jesus, when he was like a young kid, and he got lost in the temple. Remember that story? And then the parents were on their way home, and it had almost been like a full day before they realized they lost God. How do you lose God? If anything, you could, like you had one job, all you had to do. Anyway, they lost the Bible. I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, uh, all these people. Lord, give us the gift of pronunciation. Go and inquire of the Lord for me. And for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found, great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Let me give you a little snapshot. Josiah, King Josiah, eight years old becomes king. Eight years later, at the age of... Hey, that's great. At the age of 16... Something stirs in this 16-year-old boy king to discover the God of his fathers. No one led him there. Something in him went, there's something missing. There's something not quite right. I'm the king, and yet I feel a void. I feel like there's more. There's got to be more. And so he pursues the God of his fathers, the God he did not know from his father or his father's father. Why? Because the generations before him had forgotten about God. They lost the Bible. They started to serve other gods. Idols from all of the places around them. All these people that were around them, their idols started to creep into their culture. They didn't all of a sudden one day just decide, we're not going to serve God anymore. We're going to get a new God. They just let the culture of the world slip in to their own hearts, slip into their homes, slip into the temple. And before they know it, they're setting up idol temples and lost the Bible. And Josiah is born into that culture. It's all he knows. But there's something in the heart of this 16-year-old teenager that goes, there's got to be more. Because Asher is not doing it for me. Baal's not doing it for me. There's got to be more. I pray this generation isn't just looking to us to lead them to this place. But I'm praying that there's a stirring in them that says there's got to be more. I know there's a stirring. 
And I thank God for the take VBs and the things that are happening that go, I'm not trying to stir somebody. I know God's stirring now. Do you know what's going to stir the hearts of teenagers in Virginia Beach? It's you right now praying for what's about to happen. God, now, before the event, would you stir the hearts of your people, those who have grown up in a generation that does not know God, whose forefathers have just gone about doing their own thing, would you stir the heart of this generation now? So by the time we preach the gospel, they're like, that's what's been stirring. You stir the waters. Do you know that story in the New Testament? where this guy is sitting by the pool of Salome, I think it is. And uh, it, it's this weird dynamic that happens where Jesus shows up on the scene. But there was an angel, there was at least a rumor that there was an angel that stirred the waters every now and then, and the first person that got in the pool was healed. Do you know that story in the New Testament? This is not in my message, but I feel like the Lord's on this right now. Whoever, whoever got into the water as soon as the pool was was stirred got healed but only the first person that got in and jesus shows up and this guy is on his mat and he's like he asks him his question do you want to be healed and he goes yes i want to be healed but every time the angel stirs the water somebody gets in ahead of me and jesus is like pick up your mat and walk do you know what i felt when i read that story it was in the an episode of the chosen and it stirred it in me again He's waiting for an angel to stir that water. You know what Jesus was teaching him? You stir the water. You stir the water. Our prayer right now stirs the water. When I stop praying, maybe the water stops swirling. But if we pray and we repent of our own stuff, the water gets stirred. So when the evangelist or whoever's preaching the gospel comes with the gospel, they're coming into an environment where all you're telling people is get in the water. It's moving. Come on, let rivers of, rivers of living water flow from you. Stir the water for our city. Stir the water for our homeless community. Pray now. Why have we not done anything yet? Because maybe we just need to bathe this thing in prayer. Maybe prayer is the thing that will begin to create the environment where people can be healed, where people can be set free. Stop waiting for the praying people to pray. Oh, Ted, he's a supervisor at the CBN Prayer Center. When Ted starts praying, things will happen. Uh-uh. When you start praying, something happens. It just takes a son and a daughter to realize who they are, realize the authority they step in, and pray as if you have the authority now. Stop asking God to do things that He said you can claim in my name now. In my name, they will deliver people from demons. So use His name. He gave it to you. 16 begins to seek God for Himself. So Josiah has a personal revival. He himself connects with God and is revived. He doesn't even have a Bible yet. Because they found the book later. And if anything, the Bible showed them how much they had screwed up up until that point. Like, I sensed something was more. And he's like, oh, so it's not just that there's more. It's that we really missed out up until this point. 
But he has a personal revival. Four years later, four years later, he leads the nation into revival. The order of this is important. It took Josiah four years of letting God work this thing out in him before he ever led another person to, to God, before he ever began to bring that revival to the whole nation. You've got to commit to personal revival. Just because revival's in the house doesn't mean you're experiencing it right now. And revival's here. It's happening. But do you know that it's for you? It's not an event. We're not holding, Alex isn't holding a revival event. Revival should be happening now. It's a continual process of surrendering our hearts fully to God, repenting, forgiving, and letting Him fill us once again. That starts now. Four years. Four years. I can't do it for a week. God, I've been praying for a week and I don't have the breakthrough. Four years of just repenting himself, learning who God is, connecting with him. And then he went on a Holy Ghost rampage and started destroying everything. I love it. The nation hadn't even realized how far they had strayed. And so as a result of their straying away, God sends them into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon and takes them captive, but he doesn't do it until Josiah is dead. Because Josiah repented, and because Josiah led his nation in revival and repentance, a whole generation was spared because a 16-year-old boy discovered that there was something more in him, pursued God without any example to follow that he had, discovered God for himself, then discovered the word of God, and then led his nation because of one, yeah, he was king, but he didn't have to be king to do that. But a whole generation was spared as a result. But unfortunately, when he died, the next generation, boom, right back to idol worship. And so God sends him in captivity into Babylon. I pray for the revival of our leaders. I pray for the salvation of our leaders. Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever it is. If I'm spending all my time just sending memes about people who I disagree with politically, but I'm not praying for the salvation of those people, if I'm not praying that they tap into the more, if I'm not stirring the waters for them, if I only see them as something to oppose, but I'm not stirring the water in prayer that they can jump into, I'll miss it. I'm praying for the revival of our leaders. I'm praying for the salvation of our kings, our political leaders, because it's what will change the nation. But guess what? We are kings and priests. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are both king and priest. Which means that revival, when it starts with us, carries over to the nation. So the authority that Josiah had as a king to lead his nation in revival, you have. You are kings and queens. You are the priests. You can fulfill both of those roles for our nation. That means that when we get revived, 
we have the authority to bring that revival to our nation. Now, Romy, isn't it funny? I'm having a hard time uploading the YouTube video from last week. And uh, it's coming against that spiritual opposition in Jesus' name. But she said last week something prophetically that is profound. The podcast is up, so if you don't have it, I encourage you to listen to it. But she said, you know, I know there's some people that are called to work within a system. There's some people that are called to run for office, Brandon. There are some people who are called to work within the school system. My family are all public school teachers. There are some people that are called to work within business. And there are some people that God's called to just start your own. We got two people in our church that have started schools. Like, sorry, two different schools that have started in our church because they just went, you know what? I don't, there are those called to work within the system and there's called to just start something on your own. That's a king. You don't have to wait for permission from the world to do what God's told you to do. You can be the king that starts something. Start the business that is kingdom first. Start the school that will raise up a generation of revivalists. Start the ministry God's called you to do. Stop looking for the amen of man to say, we approve what you're doing and you can go ahead and do it. Don't just run off and do your own thing. But if God's called you to do something, just do it. And you'll find people gather around you to support you and love you and encourage you to do that thing because they can hear and obey God for themselves too. Revival starts in my heart first. So here's my prayer. God, I know you've called me to be a king and a priest. Purge me, Lord, of any idols that I've got. Let the purge start here. God, would you reveal to me any area of my heart that has been left unsurrendered to you? Would you purge me? God, would you purge me of the love of money? Would you purge me, Lord, of the avoidance of inconvenience? The idol of comfort, God, would you purge me of that? Lord, would you purge me of pride? This is my own prayer that I've been praying. God, others can look at me and call me humble, but you see me. And would you show me and know me? Would you purge me of the need or even the desire to have the approval of man? Would you purge me of the idolatry of leadership? Because God, clean this house first. Revival starts in here. When we pray those prayers and we let revival start in us, then we can begin to look at the nation. We can purge the nation of the sexual perversion of Asherah. We can purge this nation of the 62 million child sacrifices that have happened in this nation since 1973 to the God of Moloch. We can end 
the usurped authority of the Baals in our culture and in our government and anything else that would try to receive the worship that only God should get. You know the word Beelzebub? They accuse Jesus of being working under the power of Beelzebub, another name for the devil. It comes from Baal. Baal is the root word of Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. The enemy of this nation is the Lord of the Flies. Flies hang around dead things. They hang around dung. That's what he's the Lord of. He's the Lord of dung. He's the Lord of dead things. This is no dead thing. This is no dead thing. He will not be the Lord of this heart because when I let God in, when I let Him revive me from the inside out, and when He purges me of the idols that He, when I do the purging of the idols that He reveals to me, I've moved from death to life. And He's only the Lord of the dead things. He's only the Lord of the smelly things. And He will not be the Lord of this nation. But the only way to lead a nation back to Him is to be there yourself. That spirit, that Baal spirit, wants to harass, it wants to infect, and it wants to bite. The Baal, that's what flies do. If you ever walk back in Seashore State Park this time of year, they have those horse flies, the deer flies, horse flies. They are Beelzebub, my gosh, directly sent. And they bite. They harass, they infect, they bring disease. What you're experiencing with the harassment, the way, as soon as I take a stand, everybody on Facebook blasts me. I get a little tag, every post I have that is just my fact checker, whatever it is. As soon as I take a stand for the gospel, nobody wants to be my friend anymore. <laughs> we were just talking about this quarterback, Kirk Cousins. I don't know if you saw this, but he was sponsored by a hospital in Minnesota, a big major sponsor of his. They canceled his contract because he won't state what his vaccination status is. Not because he did or didn't get the vaccine. They're canceling his contract because he won't say. So whether you make a stand or you don't make a stand, you're still going to be bitten and harassed by the spirit of Baal, by the enemy. It's vaccination today. It'll be the gospel tomorrow. Because it's the same spirit. I don't care whether you've gotten it or not. I'm saying don't give in to the spirit of Baal that wants to bite, that wants to infect, and that wants to harass. But if you're alive, flies got nothing for you. They only hang around dead things and sweaty runners in the park. <laughs> so King Nebuchadnezzar takes him off to Babylon. He takes them all captive. And later, Nebuchadnezzar is replaced by another king named Cyrus of Persia. Another, that whole thing, that's the thing about the enemy's kingdom. The face keeps changing, but it's still Baal, Asherah, and Moloch. Same spirit. Do you know Moloch, they would sacrifice children to this god Moloch. They would take their own firstborn children, kill them, and put them in the walls of their house. 
as a way of sacrificing to Moloch to protect the house. Protect what? That same spirit is what the abortion spirit is in this nation. It's child sacrifice. 62 million. Look up the CDC. It'll be a whole lot less than that. You know why? Because California won't report. And five other states won't report their numbers because they know. The same Baal spirit that they faced. You know why Baal came in? This Baal, this idol came in because their neighbors had it. I think their God's a little cooler than ours. Because generations before them stopped telling them about the goodness of God. They stopped telling them about the power of God. They stopped telling them about the plagues in Egypt that God sent. They stopped talking about how Moses' snake ate the snakes from the magicians of Egypt. They just forgot. And so they turned to their neighbor's idols. They let the world convince them that you need the power of the world to be an influence here today. And they took on the bales of their neighbors. This fertility goddess, Asherah, she was the mother god. The mother god. God is father. God is neither male nor female, by the way. We call him father, but it's more of an authority and identity. It's not a, it's not a gender thing. If you're wondering about that, we're made in his image, male and female, he made them. So his image is both male and female, not either or. So don't get confused on the, don't get confused on the gender of God. But as soon as Asherah comes in, Asherah is mother God. So now there's confusion. Wait a minute. Mother, father, male, female. Do you think maybe today people who have some issues about male, female, about pronouns, about who's what and what do we call people? It's Asherah. It's the same thing. The devil just keeps doing the same thing. He just puts a new face on it all the time. But now there's a new king in town. His name is Cyrus. Cyrus represents the oppression of God's people. The king. He's human, right? But he's being influenced by the same spirit. But let's pick up this story in Ezra chapter 1. <laughs> what am I praying for? God, I'm praying for the salvation and revival of our leaders. Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, they're still in captivity. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it into writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. What? That's like Kim Jong-un saying, I just got a dream, and anybody in North Korea, Korea, you all need to get saved. 
The government's going to give you all of my money to go build a church in your hometown, and we're going to have a massive revival, and we're going to burn all the pictures of my ancestors because God's just shown me that. That's the equivalent of this. You thought I was going to say Joe Biden, didn't you? But no. That's the severity of this. Do I pray that for our leaders? Yes. But God's not an American God. Think bigger than what's happening here. Think bigger than what's happening in our country. Don't get so focused on oppression here that you forget that there are countries with way worse than what we're facing here. Resist oppression, but let's not get an American Christianity here, okay? That's why I put out a podcast you guys all need to listen to on my Facebook. I didn't do the podcast. It's actually a Joe Rogan podcast, but um, reel it back in. Sorry, my brain's going that direction. God, move the heart of the king. He didn't move the heart of the king of Israel. He moved the heart of the oppressor, the poster child of demonic oppression. God moved his heart. And so he sends them back. And this contingent goes back. They actually go back in three different waves, okay? The first wave that goes back is a fairly small contingent compared to all of them. And it's led by this guy named Zerubbabel. Any Hebrew scholars want to see if I got that right? Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. He leads an expedition that goes back. But when they arrive in the city, they find the temple. Why did they go back? To build. They went back to build the temple. What did God put in the heart of Cyrus to do? To build the temple. So they go back to build the temple. But they find the temple burned and they find it in ruins. Now later we see that uh, Ezra will come later and they will actually build the temple. They'll face a little bit of opposition. And then another guy by the name of Nehemiah comes. Anybody ever heard of Nehemiah? And Nehemiah builds the wall around Jerusalem. Now, pastors... We love Nehemiah. We love him because it's this great illustration of people gathering together and let's build something. We're going to get everybody on board. We're going to get everybody on the team and everybody's going to have a role and you're going to build this wall and you're going to build that wall and you're going to do this ministry and you're going to do that. We love it. Because it's this all-in gathering moment where they build the wall in Jerusalem and they got a brick in one hand and a sword in the other and we're going to pray in the Spirit and we're going to give and build and we're going to go do oh, We love it. We love it. Full of vision. Full of doing stuff that was important. But it's not what came first. Sometimes I used to get the order wrong in my head. I thought they went and built the wall, then they built the temple. But that's not what happened. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. says, When the seventh month came and all the Israelites had settled in their towns, this is Zerubbabel who had brought them back, the first expedition. The people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua son of Jozadak and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheathadululul, and his associates began to build 
the altar of God. There's no wall. There's no temple. What did they begin to build? They built the altar of God, of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings in it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. The only reason they knew the law of Moses is because generations before that, Josiah had found this book. They kept it. This same book that got lost for generations, they're in exile, but they still had the book. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the approved or appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. We love temples. We love building walls, but first build the altar. Zerubbabel knew why they were in captivity. It wasn't because they didn't have a wall when Nebuchadnezzar showed up. It's because they had stopped making sacrifices on the altar. Now, in a New Testament context... There is no temple building anymore. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So where was the altar in the temple? It was in the very center, the Holy of Holies. What is our very center if we are the temple? It is our heart. Our hearts are the altar of the temple in the New Testament context. That means the place of sacrifice that Zerubbabel did there is now our own hearts. Our hearts are the altar of altar of sacrifice. They got the order right. There's no wall. There's no building. Let's get it right. We got to sacrifice to God first. We will offer a sacrifice of praise. We will pray and we will worship. It's the pillars of our church. I look at these pillars. How funny is it? There's two pillars in this building. We will pray and we will worship. That is the altar of sacrifice that we lay down on. And Zerubbabel gets it. He goes, we've got to sacrifice first. There has to be a personal revival before there's a corporate revival. What you're experiencing here in Seashore, when people walk in, and if this is your first time here, we're so glad you came. I hear the same thing all the time. The presence of God is so strong. It's so thick. It's got to be the building. It's got to be the song. It's got to be Romy, Shirley and Clayton. It's got to be something. You're experiencing four years of prayer and worship in this house. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about people that have laid down their own hearts, committed to this process of revival, and have been praying for you before you ever set foot in this door. They were praying for days like this. They were praying 
that out of what God is doing in them, that these rivers of living water will flow so that when you walk in the doors, you get wet. You feel and experience the glory of God because there was an altar that was built first. We still don't have a building. We rent this one, but we don't have a a building. I don't care. God will provide it one day if we need it. I want to build an altar first. And that altar starts with my own heart. It starts with your heart. First build the altar. Then he'll build the temple. The healing that you're looking for in your body that's part of that temple, build the altar first. We can lay hands on you. We can operate and move in the power of God. But when you build the altar first of your own heart, you don't have to keep coming back to get prayed for. You live in divine health. And now instead of always needing prayer, you're the one giving it. We prayed for a guy here yesterday, dealing with some, yesterday, last week, with some pretty severe illness that he's, he's facing right now. And from what I heard, he's doing better this week. But you know who I brought to pray for him? I brought Ariel to pray for him. I brought Dave to pray for him. I brought Norm to pray for him. Why? Because they've all been healed of cancer. But more than being healed of cancer, these people have put their hearts on that altar. And so they're not having to come up to get prayed for every week. I'm not saying don't get prayed for. I'm saying let's go from the miracle to the relationship. Let's let God build the intimacy that he wants with us. But he's already been on the altar. He's not going on it again. It's time for us to put on the altar any idols that we find in our own hearts. Because when we do, God will build the temple, our temple. That means healing comes as a result of that. And then the wall to resist the outside attacks that come in. You know what? I don't want us to get confused that we got to build a wall first. Well, God, they're going to come shut us down. So let's build up a wall. Let's get security lining up down the sidewalk. You're not coming in here to shut us down. Nope, just build an altar. Just build the altar. Instead of us having to station guards out front, there's angels. <laughs> angels make way better security guards than I would ever would. Trust me, we've had people that have threatened our home and all kinds of things. And I'm like, well, if you can get past that angel that sits on top of my roof, go for it, man. But you don't stand a chance. First, build the altar. God moves the heart of a dictator to rebuild the temple and he sends anyone whose hearts were moved like his was. That's what he said. Anyone who has in their heart what I have in my heart, you can go. Even Cyrus was saying, if it's not in your heart, don't bother going. But I have this feeling that what's rising up in me might be rising up in some other people. So anyone that has this thing in their heart, like I have in my heart, you can go. There's a generation that's starving for what you have in your heart. And when you go, they will align themselves with what God's put in your heart. Because what he's put in your heart isn't just for you. I'm amazed how the things that, like I I would have these, these big things God puts in my heart, and then all of a sudden God brings somebody that tells me their story, and I'm like, that's what's in my heart. There's an alignment that comes as a result of that. 
Stop building temples. Stop building walls. I think some people, I'm not saying this is literally a house, but God is calling you to stop trying to build your house and start building an altar. Because you've started to build your house before you've built the altar. Build the altar first. Build the altar first. Because the altar deals with the internal threat. And you've got to deal with the internal threats before you begin dealing with the external threat. Walls protect against the external. The altar protects the internal. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you have built a temple to dwell in. I thank you, Lord, that you've built this temple, that you want to dwell in me, that the Holy of Holies is in me. It's in you. Come dwell in this temple. Fill this temple with your glory. And I encourage you that if, if, if the Holy Spirit is pointing out things in your heart right now, that he's saying, hey, that's an idol, please don't ignore that. I'm not prophetically declaring for people what your idol is. We're not calling people out. That's not what we do. But I know that there's a conversation that's happening in your spirit right now where God is bringing some things up that he just wants you to sacrifice on the idol. Sorry, on the altar. And that's a simple process. Is that when he brings something up, say, God, I repent of my dependence on this. Or I repent of engaging in this activity. A repentance just means you stop doing it and that you change the way you think about it. I repent of that. And I put those idols at your feet on the altar. Consume it with your fire. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, you can't protect against outside threats if you still have internal ones. The harassment of the biting flies, the infecting of the flies. You don't need a fly swatter. You need an altar. Thank you, Lord. I can trust you with my heart because you made me. You made me and you love me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 